if you if you loved one airplane, uh, what would it be, and why would why would it be the seven fifty seven? Two hundred, but only the two hundred. <laughs> the two hundred, yeah, exactly. The answer is seven fifty seven three hundred. I've got it probably. Right. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. It is episode three hundred fifty one. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Mr. Seth Miller. How are you, Mr. Miller? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. I've refilled my glass of vodka. I am ready Ooh. to talk airplanes and other aviations. I think I think tonight's gonna be a good night. Ooh, fancy. You know, I was in I was in uh I did a mileage run to DC and I was I, the first time I've eaten indoors was at a hotel. Did you go to did, did you go to Jolio or no? I didn't I didn't have time. No. Ah. By the time I got in it was late and I just I didn't feel like dealing with it. So yeah. I just ate it down at the bar. But like some of the people that were at the bar, interestingly enough, reminded me a bit of you because they ordered like really nice rum okay and you know it was not brown rum it was white rum i guess or you know clear rum Interesting. Uh, but, but they seem to enjoy it so i i am mostly surprised because i don't know of too many clear rums that are considered upscale it was i mean it, the bartender recommended it and they seem to enjoy it so i'm just you know i didn't okay. catch the name i'm not a big rum drinker so yeah well, yeah. we'll have to go back. I'll have to go and, you know, squat down at the bar there and find out. It's usually the reason they're dark like that is either the molasses or you end up aged in a barrel. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't like dark. You don't like dark liquors, though. I don't like whiskeys and scotches, but I love a good dark rum. Good dark rum. Yeah. That's where we differ, my friend. That's where we differ. My wife, too. It's fun because I'll order. We'll go out to dinner and I'll order like an umbrella drink and she'll order a Manhattan. And <laughs> inevitably, the bar back or the server brings it over. And if it's not the waiter who took our order. We'll put them down opposite. <laughs> and when I'm feeling particularly punchy, I say something. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah, you know, it's sad also, but yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Manhattan fan. I'm really, I'm, yeah. I, if I'm just going to have whiskey or, or bourbon, I'd rather have it on the rocks than in a Manhattan, but that's like, okay. I'm, I'm weird like that or as an old fashioned. Okay. So I'm a strange dude. And I forget what the differences are between those vermouth and some of them. Yeah, vermouth is in is in the Manhattan. Okay. What's an old fashioned then is old fashioned is bitters. It's just bitters. Yeah, just and, the bitters. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. she does those too sometimes. So. Yeah, I, I I like them. And a little bit of cherry or something. So Yeah. Um let's talk about American Airlines because that's like the elephant uh that's the Dougie elephant in the room. Uh, Everybody's got an opinion. Do you? I think it's bad. I, I mean, well, let's talk about what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean are, you asked if I had opinion. I was. Are you, you know. channeling your inner Foz? American Airlines is bad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go go through what it is. Right, it's contract of carriage changes, which is contract of carriage is the the contract between passengers and the airline that um, no one ever reads, and that doesn't matter. Like, I should say, it doesn't matter. No one ever reads, but it matters greatly because it's yep. you know covers all of the nuance, and when push comes to shove, that's going to be what gets enforced. Uh, but yeah, they. Late, uh, I guess two weeks ago now, uh, going into the weekend, they updated the document and the changes are interesting to say the least. A lot of it, it's some of it, it's hard for me to get worked up about. Some of it, um, I do think is a problem. And what's, uh, you know, I think, uh, JT Gentner had the initial report on it. And let's see if I got the tab still open here. I do. Um, among other things, um, American is basically saying, it's not our fault when we cancel a flight. Um, if you're delayed more than four hours, the only obligation we have is to refund any remaining ticket value um, according to the involuntary refund policy. Uh, if there's a misconnection, we will no longer rebook on the next available flights with seats, but the next a partner flight with seats. Um, and if you are stranded with hotels associated with it, uh, 
the only way the hotel will be covered by the airline is if you have written authorization or if it is booked directly by the airline rather than if you book your own. Yeah. So understandably, this sounds bad for passengers um, and people love nothing more. I, I, it's hard for me to tell if people love shitting on American or on United more, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's like it's a sport both of them for both of them. But here we are. I think what's interesting about it is the initial response was almost entirely outrage. Uh, uh, Brett over at Cranky Flyer actually wrote a story saying this is a good thing, which was somewhat surprising to me. I know he just don't, you know, work in the airlines and so has some uh, interesting takes or different takes on that or understandings of how that stuff works. And I, I think the reality is somewhere in the middle, but I'm curious now that I've said all of that, what are your initial thoughts? I, I think some of it is like overblown. Right. I think some of it is like it's that's not as big of a deal. I think the hotel stuff is weird, but I don't think it's like a huge deal. Right. Like they need to have a it needs to be a hotel that's on a list that they have and they want to define that list. Um, Now it's in the language of the contract carriage. So I get that. Right. It wasn't there before. They just had it was you just needed to be an approved hotel um, and then didn't it didn't tell you what it was. So uh, I think that's that's fine. Um, Some of the other stuff and the liability when we cancel or our partners cancel a flight or a route. This feels like something that's come about because of COVID and the ever-changing airline schedule landscape. Um, And I don't know that I like it because I feel like they're trying to say, look, uh, we're not really responsible if we're connecting you to a BA flight and BA says we're no longer flying that route. We're not going to help you out, even if you booked it through us. Um, Yeah, right. Like if I'm booked Boston to London to... Dubrovnik and they cancel the London Dubrovnik route is American obligated to get me to Dubrovnik still. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's bad. I think it's bad for customers, right? Uh, I bought the ticket from you. You should help me out. Figure out, figure this, this shit show out. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and also like, you know, this is always the whole airline thing. Well, we'll give you your money back. Great. Yeah. But I bought this ticket three months ago when t- prices were X and now prices are, you know, three X who's going to like, I, I, you know, you sort of offered me transportation, not, the theory of maybe transportation if I still want two three months from now. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out the reality is what they offered you is the theory of maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that kind of falls through to the whole, um, four hour, you know, delay or, you know, cancellation for four hours or more. Yeah. Uh, and remain the refunding of the remaining ticket value. Okay. So now I'm stuck somewhere with, but you're going to refund me the, that remainder of the ticket. At, which is almost always going to be not enough to, right. There's no more trip in vain. Essentially. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Imagine we, we, imagine we got all the way to, uh, Guam after our debacle in Kwajalein and they're like oh we'll give you back 35% of the ticket because that's the way they amortized out the cost um, but you're stuck here yeah yeah exactly so good luck finding a one way ticket home yeah and 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 then you're yeah with the 35% that they gave you and or trying to get to your final destination let's say you don't even want to go home you just yeah. want to get to your final destination I mean now you're really screwed yeah. um, I, I think I think that stuff is it doesn't I think for most people they're never going to see that problem Right. Like the, the general public may never understand or care. Yeah. Uh, but when it does happen to them, they're going to be pissed off. Yeah. So what's interesting about it to me is Brett's comment of and this was echoed by a couple of people on Twitter also more quietly as sort of, OK, yeah, this seems really bad. But the reality is this is what American was already doing. Mm. So doesn't it make more sense to have the policy match what American was already doing? And I, I, I get where they're coming from there. But like, shouldn't their policy also not be shitty? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> what what uh, I mean, what do they mean by that? Were they they were already doing this where they refund the remainder of the ticket? Is that kind of like the point? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the oh, if we can't get you where you're going again, maybe more due to COVID than anything else, because the rebookings were impossible. But like, if it turns out the route doesn't exist anymore, we're just refunding you. Yeah. It's involuntary. We get it. But like, that's our obligation. Goodbye. Um, the hotel one is actually the one that bothers me the most. The other stuff I sort of I get where the airline's coming from to an extent. And I again, I think it's unfair to sort of strand someone and be like, yeah, here's your money back. Good luck of booking. And like, we can cancel it two days out and you're screwed. Good luck. I don't yeah. like that. But I also sort of understand it. The hotel one is interesting. You know, Brett's com- interpretation of it. And I certainly know some people that would do this would be like, Yes, because when the flight got canceled, rather than waiting in line to get your voucher, you went and booked the Four Seasons, and then you sent them a bill for an obscenely priced hotel that they should have never had to pay for. Yeah. And that's fair. At the same time, like, if I just want to, like, when a 180-person flight is canceled and there's only one agent, expecting me to wait in line for however many hours that takes to get a hotel voucher rather than just letting me go and deal with it, right? I, I don't know that perhaps there should be a, we actually talked about this actually with my wife over dinner tonight. Um, my comment was like, what if they used all this fancy technology they had? And when you called into the 800 number and put and it recognizes that it's me calling because they know my phone number for my advantage account. Yep. Yep. It says, Hey, the current queue is three hours because you have shit status with us, but maybe we, Oh wait, we see your flight was canceled. We'll bump you to the top of the line. And so, yep. and then someone on the phone is actually authorized to say, yes, we see your flight is canceled. We'll work on rebooking you in the meantime, go get a hotel up to X dollars. Is there anything available like that in the area? Right. Like I feel like there's some sort of happy medium that would actually solve this. And apparently Americans doing something with emailing vouchers for hotels. In some cases, I will say when I recently uh, had my flight canceled on July 4th weekend, they definitely were not doing that even for the people who are entitled to hotels, which they say I wasn't. Um, my travel insurance covered everything, but whatever. But even better than that, wouldn't it be great if they said, Oh, by the way, there's a, you know, there's a Sheridan that's, Two blocks down from the airport. Yeah, uh, we, we we can book your room there. We can get you a voucher there, or whatever, whatever. You know, uh, I'm, let me email you a voucher real quick so that you yeah. can check that hotel. I'm gonna email you the confirmation code, and it's already covered. Like, yeah, that, there, that, or there that is a way to do that. There's been some companies over the years that have tried to digitize a lot of that. I've seen many of them at some of the trade shows. Uh, I, I American, I think or some of the airlines have even sort of started doing some. United had a partnership with one of them for a while. There, there's some really good options there, but. It requires that the airlines actually do it. And I think what one of the big challenges is that means that they end up actually spending the money versus sort of fighting over it. It's cheaper for them to have one person sort of slow, slow roll it and fight over it and not pay it. In some ways. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the thing, too. Like, I, I so I've had that experience with United. I mean, let's let's shit on both during yeah. this episode. Uh, so I was at Dulles and there was a bunch of mechanical cancellations, delays, and it was late. It was like 1030, 11 o'clock at night. I knew there was no way I was leaving that yeah. night. And so I'm like, I get in line, I get on the phone and there's probably 200 people in front of me because of all these other flights that have been canceled. Not weather. It's just, just shit luck. And I'm on the phone at the same time. And the wait on the phone is like 30 minutes for an elite, which is mm-hmm. crazy. And I just said, screw this. I just can go. I, I got on the, at this time it was Starwood, got on the Starwood app and just booked the Weston down the street. I was like, I'll just have insurance, like my credit card insurance, take care of this. Cause I don't feel like, I don't feel like waiting in line any longer. I just want to go to bed. And, and, I, so to your point, like, wouldn't it have been much easier for United, even in the app, right? United's app's far and away better than Americans, I think. Yeah. Um, in the app, you could do something like that, too. Like, oh, I see your flight's been canceled. Uh, the next flight's not till tomorrow um, because of the reasoning behind. I mean, United couldn't do it because they've gotten rid of reason codes. So, um, you know, let, let me rebook you on a uh, – oh, let me book you a hotel. And it's, yeah. it's covered, and here's your confirmation number, and, you know, go check in. 
Yeah, I I will say in some ways it's shenanigans like this that drive me towards just giving either an annual travel insurance policy or just going to my credit card insurance. Yeah. Um, the caveat being that they often won't cover if it's the airline's fault. So like the example you described, it wasn't whether it was like the airline canceled the flight, uh, typically would not cover my hotels. But if it's uh, weather related, it will because they yeah. assume the insurance company assumes that if it's the airline's fault, the airline is going to cover it. Yep. So, um, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right. I, in that case, I ended up paying the $90 or whatever it was for yeah. the hotel. And I was just like, whatever, I don't care. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> All right. And, and, right. And, the, and that's the thing. It's like, you can send the email and you can be like, Hey, you guys did this stupid. Are you sure you don't want to take care of me? Yeah. Um, and let them be stupid. Uh, and then just remember that they're stupid because that's almost certainly the way it's going to play out. You know, when it's in the EU and, uh, that they're legally obligated to cover it and they don't. Yeah. I will fight it more. Um, I had that once with Norwegian and fortunately, you know, fortunately slash unfortunately at the time, you know, knew someone who worked in the comms department and was able to get it fixed after they denied me twice. Yeah. But it was, again, it was the, Oh, you should have stayed and used one of the hotels we were going to book for you. I'm like, I don't know what the rates you get were, but I booked the cheapest hotel I could find. And I already had to rebook my flight out of Heathrow, not Gatwick after you canceled it. So um, I couldn't stay at Heathrow anymore, which or Gatwick anymore, which is where you were going to book me a hotel and still catch my, my rebooked flight. Sorry. You stole yeah. me for a room. I don't really want to take the two hour drive in the morning to get to yeah. Heathrow or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah and, and the other thing too, like, so let's talk about this, this other piece. I'm interested to hear your thoughts where they say, um, if there's a flight cancellation or delay that causes you to miss a connection, AA will no longer rebook you on the next flight with available seats. Instead, you'll have to wait to be rebooked on the next American Airlines or American partner flight with available seats. So is the, is the caveat here, is the nuance here that people were getting rebooked on other carriers before American or a partner? I think so, right? Brett's take on it was if you saw a Spirit Airlines flight as the next flight, you could try to demand that America or Southwest, you could, right? You could try to demand that they book you on that. Um, and that's obviously not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, barring certain local arrangements that in certain airports where I have seen that sort of thing, right? Where like JetBlue can rebook you onto Southwest or, or something like that. It's happened, but it's not really normal policy. Um, it would be very surprising to me. I mean, I, I, again, I think some of this is probably how much of this is edge cases of people being silly and, you know, but at this point in our society, the edge cases are the problem. Yeah. Um, or is this American saying we're no longer going to rebook you on Delta and United? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. right? Which is, or, or yeah, which historically they have done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes, for, I, let's be clear. Okay, historically they've done it sometimes, not always. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I've had that happen a few times where I was flying, I think I was flying United uh, to Newark and they couldn't, it was like a delay of like four and a half hours or something. And I yeah. said, look, I, you guys already know like you're delayed five hours or whatever it is. Just put me on the Delta flight to JFK. Like, I don't like why. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. If that's okay with you. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to fly to you guys. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but my, but my canceled flight on July 4th, I was like, there's these seats on the United flight. I can still get there tonight. And they're like, Oh no, it's weather delayed. We won't put you on another airline, only partners. So, even, and that wasn't, that, that wasn't even your connection. Yeah. Oh, I would have, uh, I probably would have lost it at that point. Well, you know, I did. And very quickly was like, all right, well, this is stupid. You know that, right? The guy's like, I'm just doing my job, man. It's like, me too. What's next? Let's pick it out. And, <laughs> like I, I mentioned for like the 10 seconds I needed to. And then very quickly, you know, we got through it. It was fine. But yeah, um, and he ended up rebooking us on a very reasonable routing. It, it all worked out. But um, yeah, it was I, I understand the rage to an extent. I think that there certainly was some abuse. And I think some of the policies are stupid. I think the the most egregious one to me really ends up being the if we decide to cancel your flight after you've booked it, we don't owe you anything. Like we can give you your money back. 
the day before you were supposed to travel and you're screwed. I just, yeah. it's, it's very, very one sided. The other stuff, I, you know, I think the hotel policy, I think there's a better way to do it, but I get it. Um, I sort of understand only rebooking on partners when there's a cancellation. I think it's a bad choice, but I understand why they do it. Um, I mean, do you I don't think, think it's customer friendly, but I get it. But the other stuff that they're like, at least they'll probably get you there within a day or two, usually. Um, it's, but the general bit, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think changing that, uh, policy in terms of i just or not even that's not even change it's really what they've been always doing but like yes we can just force you take you give you your money back and tell you good luck i don't like that yeah i i mean do you think that that to me is the one that stands out as being due to covid and flight schedules right yeah so do you think that they're struggling to find flights to put people on i mean they've had some serious operational issues recently yeah and you think this kind of stems from that like they're not able to find flights to put people on they just they there's nothing, there's no seats available. Well, I think there has been no seats available for a long time. Um, well, over the summer, certainly loads were way high and, and many routes were still less frequently served. Um, in theory, some of that's loosened up a little bit because demand's gone down, but they've also scaled back schedules. I just, I, I think really at the end of the day, it comes down to a combination of it's harder to find those seats anyways on other carriers and they don't want to pay for it. And there's nothing saying they have to other than historically it was a smart customer service decision, right? Yeah. I can bitch about how American screwed me overnight, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, but I'm trying to buy a ticket tonight and it's not working, right? I, I yeah. can be mad. At, I can be mad at them. Admittedly, it's not working because I'm trying to use a voucher they gave me for screwing me on that trip. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm trying to buy a ticket using a credit voucher and it didn't. it won't go through it. And they're telling me it's because I had a seats assigned. Which is perhaps the funniest uh, explanation I've ever heard, uh, especially, <laughs> especially since I then went back and did it uh, without the seats assigned and it still didn't work. And so now they're telling me to do it all over again. So so you try and buy a ticket, don't have seats assigned, still doesn't work. Uh, try again. How many how many tries before, do, you, do, you, do you give them before you just give up? Well, since I have a $200 voucher on this trip and I'd rather not give them particularly any of my own money as opposed to, you know, their own money. Yeah. Um, they've now told me that if I put it on hold, they'll take a look at it and fix it. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, a piece of cake, right? Yeah, exactly. Make, making travel easier, one app at a time. Uh, so let's talk about German business travel. Uh, there's an yeah. article, huh? Uh, <laughs> there's a there's an article in Business Travel News um, that the German Business Travel Association, I guess, is uh, the, the letters for it are VDR. Has, say, has GBTA is actually a US. <laughs> yeah, uh, has found that like. Spending by German company, companies on business travel has fallen to the lowest level since records began just about 20 years ago. Which, okay, so that's not surprising Yeah, at all. I think the surprising bit about it and the concern is uh, what would happen, if, like, do they really think it's going to stay that low forever? Yeah. And that's the implications in the story. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's some stats in here that state that, uh, you know, 84% uh of those responsible for business travel will include working from home or working from anywhere, uh, increasingly also from their home office. Um, so they're, they're saying when they're planning, they're just saying people can work from anywhere, including at home. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a big, that's a big percentage of German business travel, right? I mean, Lufthansa does a lot of business around the world for business travelers and has, has kind of built their fleet around it. Right. Um, business heavy and some, on some planes, the, the, like the A380 and the 748. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, the implications of this are saying it, this may it may not recover the way that people have predicted. Yeah. Uh, and, well, 
and what is you know i think the, the range of the predictions is pretty broad so yeah. someone's gonna say oh i got it right um right because the stop clock is and whatnot but i think i think that when you, people talk about oh you can work from anywhere but we're gonna have like all hands meetings and you know the meet it won't be at the office but we'll still have a couple trips like everybody will have a couple trips a year and come together yeah. um and so it's different type of travel expense but there's still expense for that uh but also like i you know microsoft uh announced last Thursday that they're going to delay back to office again. So I I think part of it is that no one knows when that's going to come out. And as long as businesses seem to keep going sort of somewhat okay, there's going to be a push to sort of somewhat let them keep doing that. And listen, I have worked from home for more than a decade now. Uh, I still find that, especially when starting a new project and dealing with new customers, in-person is much better than just digital. Uh, for a limited period of time. But then after that, yeah, I'm pretty effective from home. I, I get the stuff done. So it, depend, it depends on the person. It depends on the work. It depends on a lot of things. But I could certainly understand how it's, you know, the travel is absolutely going to be different. You know, are there going to be fewer business class seats sold? I don't know. People, at least right now, are buying more premium travel for personal reasons. So yeah, yeah. Th- there could be some, you know, it's it's a shift of where the money comes from and how it happens. But does that, that doesn't necessarily mean no one's going to buy business class. It may mean no one's going to buy walk up business class fares. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's a good point. So like, do you think that this shifts the economics of the business class cabin going forward, potentially like where airlines say, well, this is the price that we can charge X number of days out because people aren't traveling for business anymore. We're not going to get those walk up fares. Uh, and the ones we do get, we can charge whatever, you know, $10,000 or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you think it changes that to where the airlines have to reconsider how they're pricing, you know, some of these biz fares that they have? I do. I, th- I think it's going to shift some of that. I also, I mean, I think they'll probably still hold a couple seats for walk up fares and hope for the best, but I think they might sell a few more advanced seats just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Philippine Airlines is bankrupt and has some interesting things happening when it comes to leases. Yeah, they're, I mean, who among us as an airline hasn't really gone bankrupt this year, morally, financially, (laughs) one way or another. Uh, No, they didn't mean like they said, they were, I don't want to put them quite in the Alitalia and South African airways category, but has been struggling for a while, maybe closer to Thai. I don't know. Uh, Been struggling for a while, has a fleet that's like a couple of everything and is getting their, you know, proverbial ass handed to them by Cebu at the low end, Air Asia, and then like Emirates and the Middle East carriers for long haul stuff. It's not not a great situation if you're the government running uh Philippine Airlines. And yeah. so they filed chapter eleven um in the US, which is surprising to me that they actually are have a US uh entity that can do that, but sure, fine. It's a great the, the nice thing about chapter eleven uh is that it's pretty well recognized around the world. Um good structure what they're trying to do with it is uh, they they went in with a prepackaged what's called a prepackaged bankruptcy. So rather than sort of, and there's always some level of that, uh, right? Typically, you, as a company, you talk to your debtors, your credit, uh, your creditors, the company you owe money to. You're the debtor uh, a little bit in advance. Be like, hey guys, this isn't working. Can we work things out? Yeah. Can we adjust the schedules? No. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna have to like you know our, our debts now outweigh our assets. We're gonna like go in and try to get this all refinanced under you know the auspices of the court. One of the uh, interesting things is they actually went into it with sort of the, all the financing sorted out. They the, they got commitments from the banks to give them new money. They spoke to most of the creditors and explained, you know, who they're going to give, you know, sort of try to get the money, the debt erased from. They want to save $2 billion. I don't know if that's annual or total, but $2 billion in, got to be total, right, in leasing fees. I think so, yeah. I can't imagine they're doing $2 billion a year just in aircraft leases, but um 
It's because just the number of planes isn't high enough for that. But what's interesting about it to me is when you look at, okay, fine, like wiping off $2 billion in obligations for aircraft leases is a big number. You know, going into it, they want the aircraft lessors want it to be discharged through Chapter 11, not just through a willing forgiveness. Fine. I sort of get all of that. But then you start looking at what they're rejecting in terms of leases. And I sort of mentioned earlier, they sort of they have a couple of everything right in their uh, fleet. And that's uh, hard to manage in some ways, because like you'd think maybe they'll do like the LATAM play and just get rid of, I think LATAM got rid of its 350s, right? Doubling down on being a 787 operator, maybe some 777s too, right? Most of the time when airlines do this sort of thing and sort of reorganize their fleet, they consolidate to just one or two fleet types. Yep. That's not what happened here. And I don't understand it at all. Right? So they operate, fine, narrow bodies there, uh, 320 family operator. They got 320s, 321s, 321neas. Um, they're picking and choosing what they're going to reject there based on just sort of total uh Seats they need and where they need the planes. Fine. That sort of makes sense to me. But they also have 330s, 350s, and 777s. Mm-hmm. And they have few enough that they could sort of just get rid of the 350s or just get rid of the 777s or just get rid of the 330s. And I acknowledge that each of those planes sort of has a different purpose and a different role. Yep. But to get rid of half the 350s and half the 777s seems bizarre to me. And some of the 330s, I think. Like, they're, they picked a couple of each rather than, like, cutting out one fleet and trying to simplify operations. And... I would have thought they would have gotten rid of the 330s completely. but Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is they're, the way that they're configured, I believe, is more high-density regional operations oh, okay. as opposed to long-haul for the 350s and the, and the 777s. But, and right, like the 777s fly to Vancouver and to the U.S., I think, or they have... Yeah, LA, they LA. Okay, and are they connecting Vancouver to Vegas, I think, maybe also, they yeah, or have over the years? And they do they do San Francisco as well on a 777. Yeah, like those, those are routes that I don't think the 350 well, maybe it can, but... Well, I mean, they do JFK. All right. On the 350. Wait, Philippines goes to JFK now? Yeah, or cool. was before COVID. I didn't realize that. Um, so, I mean, and maybe that's a route that the 777 can't reach. I don't know. I just, or it's too big for, like, they don't have, can't sell enough seats on. I don't know. I It's all weird to me that they're keeping the fleet mixed rather than simplifying. I, yeah. I wish them I wish them great success. I hope it works out in their favor. I'm confused. Alitalia, is, believe it or not, is actually simplifying his fleet when it relaunches his ITA. Um, they're getting rid of the triple sevens and focusing on the three thirties for long haul is what I've been led to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they're operating it tonight or I mean, to, this, they operated this morning, I guess. Yeah. Uh, one ten in the morning departure from JFK, huh. six ten arrival in Manila. Wow. Huh. 16, 16 hours. Seems like a long time on an airplane. Yes, it is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they needed, like they wanted to keep that route. I think they want to keep that route, right? Like it's, it's kind of a, is it just a prestige route or is there money? I don't know. I would think there's some money there. Um, I, I know a lot of people in the Northeast that are actually Filipino that uh, are friends of mine. Yeah. Um, I don't know how often they go back, but I, see, I, mean, I think I know they're willing to pay a premium for the nonstop flight rather than taking the yeah. sitting coach and just deal. Exactly. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe, maybe they would have been better off just dropping the seven triple sevens um, or, or the three fifties or drop the triple sevens and switch to three fifty one thousands. I don't know for capacity, yeah. not range, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. I, the, the whole thing is a little weird to me. Um, yeah. I obviously don't run airlines and don't have all the data they're working with, but that, that caught my eye as a particularly strange way to simplify the operation. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely is definitely. So um, let's talk about Billy Bishop. Uh, Toronto's, Toronto's tiny airport. Uh, Mr. Porter returned to the skies. Domestically uh, or internationally as well. Domestic so far. International starts next week huh. uh, based on 
sort of, but the, and Canada actually opened its borders up a decent amount last week um, for some better arrivals for by air as well, if I, if I remember the dates correctly. So it's all sort of starting to come together. Um, but I think Porter just really wanted to start slow and then, you know, did it just sort of doing its, uh, I think they're basically doing the Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa uh, triangle. Yep. Maybe Thunder Bay. Uh, but they're, so they're starting slow. They're slowly get, they're getting ramped back up. Not surprisingly, uh, Air Canada also just happened to decide that maybe they'll start Q400s back to Billy Bishop <laughs> the same day. <laughs> what were the odds? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what uh, is Canada? So can Canadians enter the United States or is the United States still closed? We're still pretty closed. Okay. Um, although I think. I think now it's you can fly in, but not cross the land border, maybe? Yeah, there's some weird rules around that stuff, yeah. I remember someone saying that they now have to fly in, like, to get from Toronto to Buffalo to do something. They had to, like, fly across and connect and be stupid about it because they couldn't drive anymore <laughs> without, without like, serious quarantine or something like that. It was a weird situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, EasyJet, there's some news around them. Tell me what the what the story is there. Apparently someone tried to buy them. Really? Uh, most of the, you know, the rumors say it was Wizz Air. Which I sort of can actually understand. Was there's heavy further east into Europe and even down into the Middle East now, uh, right? But getting a getting the the London and uh, Switzerland bases from EasyJet would be pretty nice. Yeah, and EasyJet is relatively small as as the LCC world goes in Europe. Um, you know, they're certainly smaller than I'm pretty sure they're smaller than Wiz uh, and definitely smaller than Ryanair. So, but but to be clear, they weren't for sale. Yeah, but does that really matter? Are you for sale, Stephen? <laughs> no, no. How much would it take? Quite a bit. See, so you are for sale. <laughs> the number would have to be right. I'm just saying, one million, <laughs> one million dollars for one night. <laughs> anyway, uh, indecent proposal for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, you know, I, I think that there is something to be said at some point where you know everybody's for sale if the price is right. But in in response, was there or no? No one's naming was there officially, right? EasyJet won't say who it was. Everybody, you know, with sources close to the story says it was Wiz. Uh, but it, it's it's interesting to me that this came out when they were like, nope, we are actually going to go ahead and uh, get money on the open market with an offering. There's also the part where, like, if I remember correctly, EasyJet has like one shareholder who's something like thirty percent. He's not. He doesn't have the majority, but he's a big enough shareholder that he's kind of a pain in the ass for management. Because <laughs> he's also not management, but like he's on the board or something like that. He was he was complaining about the Airbus order book when EasyJet was still taking new deliveries in the middle of COVID. Yeah, or we're still in the middle of COVID, early in COVID uh, in 2020. So uh, there's some interesting stuff going on there in terms of how the ownership is structured. But yeah, they're trying to get like 1.7 billion dollars, I think, through a public share offering. So seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean if. I mean, if someone's offering you cash to buy you, if you can actually get the money on the open market, I guess there's nothing. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they actually get this cash that they're chasing. right, right. If they don't, then I could see them reconsidering this offer, <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's what they told was there. Yeah, was, I mean, you know, come, wait, ba- come back in a couple of months. <laughs> presumably, the presumably the offer will go down at that point, though, because they know there's yeah, the exactly. offeror knows that there's not an upside. Yeah. But anyway, it was uh that was interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. Um. So there's been a proposal put out uh, to vaccinate uh, all passengers and crew in the U.S. for domestic travel, airplanes and trains. And, and was t- today out- was this was this came out what last Thursday, um, right? And so it's, it's an it, it came out a couple hours before the executive orders came out. So who knows um, how any of that will play? Uh, I, listen, I don't think that I don't think that the bill would ever become law. I think there's zero chance it passes. 
the Senate much in the House is honestly questionable. But don't you but don't you think, though, like if we can have some I mean, we'll talk about the executive orders in a second. But don't you think there could be an executive order for vaccination of passengers and crew? I don't know. I like, could, could he could he issue one? Sure. Uh, would it hold up? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about like the masks, right? Like the masks right. is, a, is it's not an executive order. It's an uh, FAA rule. Um, TSA. TSA rule. Yeah. I, I I just, yeah. I mean, the executive order piece, right, is basically saying companies over 100 with, with 100 okay, so, employees. So it's companies over 100 employees, all federal employees, anyone except, who's a contractor. Except the USPS, which is ridiculous. But That's interesting. I missed that line. Yeah. They, they, the USPS is not included. Sweet. Um, yeah, it's, listen, I mean, I think what it really is going to do is force American and Southwest and some of the other airlines that to date have not had a policy of any sort to come out and say, we have a policy now. Um, yeah. In many ways, much like the mask mandate, it gives the airline cover to say, this isn't us. This is the federal government. We can't do anything about it. Never mind yeah. that I have no doubt that the you know senior management was all begging the government to do this so as to make it so it happens without you know, having to take the blame, but you know, in some ways that's what government's for, right? You, you, you get cover, right? You, you lobby hard enough, you get someone to make those decisions and give you that, provide you that cover while shit goes down. That's why the mask mandate is so nice. That's why the airlines were begging for it. Um, the part that's, you know, always interesting to me with any of these things is the responses by unions of they're going to have to negotiate this. Yeah. Which I understand how collective bargaining works and any mandate for management has to come in, you know, with some give back in another area. I'm a little surprised that more of the unions, especially in the travel space, weren't out in front saying, you know what, we want you to mandate vaccinations for all of us. We know that that's the only way that this that the economy recovers quickly enough. It's going to speed our, you know, it's going to have more of us working more hours more quickly. We want it. It's also, you know, safer for us and safer for you know our passengers. We want it. We want our two days off at, for each of the two shots just to be safe and get it. But we want this to happen. I think, you know, if... They were, I think the unions missed an opportunity to score some real easy points there. Well, it's it's also interesting, right? Like police unions and firefighters unions are kind of going against some of the vaccine mandates. Oh, aggressively. Uh, yes. The people here responsible for your safety are telling you that they don't care about your safety. It, but but at the same time, the teachers unions, unions are like, please vaccinate us. <laughs> well, <laughs> Just... <laughs> there, there are some teachers unions that are trying to negotiate it to it. But I think here's the thing. I think all of them want to be vaccinated, but yeah. there's a challenge of how do they you know, can they extract something from management for it? And I, I, I get it. I, you know, have long ago, a good friend that was, was actually an airline union negotiator as an attorney um, and talked to him about some of the stuff, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago at this point. And he, his only kind, he kept coming back to, it doesn't matter what the it is. Every single time anything happens, there's gotta be a compromise. You've got, you know, if you give up anything without that, it's a loss for the union and you're never going to get it back. I understand that. I'm not sure vaccination is the hill you, die on there yeah. terrible yeah. choice of words sorry because <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you don't you're going to die i mean <laughs> well and, and as as flight attendants i'm thinking of that flight attendants yeah. and pilots and stuff like you're you're exposed to people more people right so yeah. it makes you wouldn't it make you more comfortable if your union said hey you know we want to we want the safety we would like the days off uh to make sure that people get their shots and have a day to recover and make sure they're not feeling like crap for that day yeah. um and, and, i think and, it's and as a business who's responsible for the safety of your passengers, you want us to not have flu-like symptoms or suddenly be incredibly drowsy sitting on the jump seat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I just think back my, and you know, so, some people had no impact at all. My adverse reaction was 
exactly 24 hours after the shot, I like went from up and about and talking and having a great day to like dead. Yeah. Asleep, exhausted, couldn't move. And then 12 hours later was back to my jovial self once again. The fact that it was three in the morning did not seem to bother my brain. Um, <laughs> so like it, it wasn't the sort of thing like you would know you were going to be tired and call out sick. Like it could hit you that quickly of needing to take some time. I, I don't know. I, especially, quite frankly, the government was already paying the flight attendant salaries. Just give them the days. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't cost the airline anything, right? Like, or very little. So it's hard for me to understand other than just being ornery why it would go this way. But here we are. Yeah. And and the, at, at the same time, right, the TSA is talking about doubling fines for mass noncompliance. Yeah, I'm I'm torn on this one. The if I, I saw something. I thought the numbers were different, but the. I think it's going to jump the range is two hundred fifty to fifteen hundred dollars. They're going to increase it to five hundred to three thousand dollars, depending on I guess circumstances of some sort. Yeah, I don't think increasing the dollar amount is necessarily the issue. And I was also more thinking about the uh, FAA or DOT, whichever one is issuing fines for like assaulting flight attendants on board more mm-hmm. than mask violations. I just think they should actually like no warning, no second chances. Like you don't wear your mask on a plane. Here's a ticket. Here's your summons. Feel free to appeal it to you know the DOT or the TSA or whoever, whatever organizations, Inspector General or however that goes, their administrative court. But like the when you hear about you know there's been three thousand complaints filed by flight attendants against passengers this year or whatever, like the numbers, I guess high. I don't know. When we're doing two million passengers a day, it doesn't seem that high to me. Or one and a half million these days, but still, yeah. um, that's a pretty low number. I would actually expect that there's been more incidents and more mask violations than that. But also, even if you don't wear your mask and you're a schmuck on the plane, like the number where fines have been issued relative to the number of incidents reported and investigated is still relatively low. And part of that, I'm sure, is they have to actually investigate them. They can't just issue the fine and walk away. Yeah. But I, don't know, I feel like that process should be more aggressive and more likely to result in a penalty. If Right. This is sort of the everybody speeds because only one in a thousand get caught if there were speed cameras everywhere and you knew you were just going to get a ticket and it would show up in your mail, like in some countries in Europe, people don't speed as much there because they know that that's going to be a problem. If you knew that like not wearing a mask on a plane was going to cost you $500, you'd probably just wear the mask. Yeah. But even knowing it might cost you $500, but odds are you're not going to get caught or not get, not get the fine. If you do get caught and have the fight, I think empowers more people to just not do it. So, yep. Yep. And it's not not that I want flight attendants to have to become police officers or anything like that, but at this point, enforcement of any sort, like they they are right. That's what they spend most of their day doing. So yeah, yeah. That's I mean, I, we had a couple of announcements on one of my flights. You know, it must cover your nose and mouth. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so and I'm wondering, you know, was it covering just their mouth? I didn't get up and look around, but anyway, uh, I think that's I think that's a show. Anything else you wanted to chat about? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I think we're going to talk a little bit about CRAF in, in Afghanistan and uh, commercial ops coming back uh, in Kabul, and then probably a little bit about Dorkfest. So that's for our Patreon subscribers, uh, and that'll come up shortly. Um, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you can go to patreon.com and, and look for Dots, Lines, and Destinations and you become a supporter there and hear the extra content. Uh, for those who want to leave us a comment or uh, discuss any of these topics, you can tweet us at Dots, Lines, more dots, more lines.com. Thanks for listening. Happy travels. Take care.